Beyond the Wrench with Jay Gannon from Find the Wrench. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Gannon and I am your host. Thanks once again for joining us. Before we get started, want to touch on our uh, weekly winner of our higher or lower game. And the winner for last week was Robert Soleil with a high score of 36. With that, Robert won a $100 Amazon gift card. Congratulations, Robert. Hopefully you enjoy that. He also had a shot at our current Queen of Hearts pot, which was at $800. Unfortunately, did not turn that over. And the pot rises once again to $900. This week was sponsored by Full Bay. Our friends at Full Bay have some really cool things going. I was just sent their state of the heavy-duty repair industry uh, report. If you get a chance, check it out. Really, really cool. Uh, they also had just put out a, uh, a children's book, and I've used it with my four-year-old. And it is really, really good. So make sure you go check them out. If you get a chance, check out that children's book with Full Bay. They've done a really, really good job for our industry. A lot of great content and really just a great partner for us. Now, registration is open for our second annual Tech Mission event. As a reminder, Tech Mission is a two-day virtual event that brings together technicians, shop owners, managers, and schools. This year, we're talking about why technicians are leaving the industry, what the schools can do to better prepare technicians for once they get into the industry, and what shops can do to keep technicians in the industry. It's completely free to attend, but you must register. Even if you can't attend live, register anyway, and we'll email you the recordings after the event. You can register at resources.wrenchway.com backslash technician 2021. The link is also in the show notes, so you can check that out, and hopefully we'll get you to join us for uh, just a really, really cool couple days of talking about all things industry. As for this week's episode, we touch on the parts side of things, and really the parts, the parts department's relationship with a service department, how we can improve those relationships. This week's guest is Kaylee Filio, and she is the uh, sales and marketing manager for Parts Edge and brings a lot of insight from the parts side of the business and and really kind of how, I guess we talk about how we can make lives easier for technicians and how we can make lives easier for parts managers. So some really good conversation and I hope you enjoy the show. Take care. All right. I am really excited about today's podcast and Really just kind of being able to dive into what the maybe some of the barriers or some of the things that we see with parts and service and the relationship there. And and today I'm I'm really excited to bring on Kaylee Filio from Parts Edge. How are you, Kaylee? I'm doing great and I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Great, great. We had uh, some fun discussions prior to the podcast and coming up with ideas of what would be really beneficial to our audience to learn about and and really kind of trying to tear apart those silos between parts and service, I think, is a, a big deal. But before we get started on the actual content, tell us a little bit about yourself. How'd you get into this industry? 
Yeah, it's a it's a funny story. I was I was a manager at a subway restaurant, and the founders of Parts Edge were my regular customers. And so I think they saw something in me and offered a position, and I I took it because I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to go to college or what I wanted to do. So I, I learned the operation side of Parts Edge and what we do for our clients. Left and did some other things because I always ultimately knew I kind of wanted to be in sales and marketing. And, um, and then when the, it opened up at Parts Edge, I, I just jumped on it because I always knew that's what I wanted to do there and really help get the message across and, and what we do for dealerships. So how, so how long have you been with Parts Edge? I think overall, it's probably been about 10 years. You. Sales five. Yeah. So from sandwich artists to sales, like you, you got <laughs> like that, got the, uh, the spread there. Uh, but it, in all seriousness, I think... You know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and some of those jobs do such a good job at preparing you for, you know, going into a role that you're in right now, right? Like some of the stuff that you learned at Subway, I'm sure translated really nicely into what you're doing today. Oh, definitely. Just the relationships, customers, employees, how to really, you know, work with all different types of personalities. And it's funny too, when I was learning Parts Edge and kind of they were explaining the industry and when I first started, they would always relate it back to subway terms for me because we essentially did manage an inventory. I mean, it was food. It was a lot different. But yeah, that's how things were explained to me a lot. <laughs> well, but there's there's parallels, right? And like in a business where, you know, inventory is probably tougher in the in the uh, restaurant industry just because if you don't use it immediately, it you're, does go kind of yeah you're out of luck like you, you and so being able to predict what you need to order and what you need to you know to to keep your customers happy i'm sure is uh i'm sure is a big challenge definitely yeah it was uh if we had something like parts edge for subway it would have been a lot easier <laughs> <laughs> so do you once you got into the industry and, and started kind of feeling your way through it um, assuming you, you, you liked being in the business and, and liked like kind of where you were going with parts edge. Yeah, I, I liked it. I was, you know, I, I left and did real estate for a little bit and, you know, that was kind of sales that kind of gave me the, the, the sales and marketing that I kind of wanted to learn outside of the auto industry, but it was like, I couldn't leave it. It was like I left and then I just kept coming back. I, I think that's common in our industry, right? Like I, I, I've been in this business my entire life and I don't think it's really ever dawned on me to like go try something different even, which might not be the greatest thing in the world. But, but I do think it's got stickiness to it. And once you get into the industry and, and start to know people in the industry and, you know, even from, from a technician level, I have a lot of friends to this day from when I was a technician that are still really, really good friends. And it wasn't like I was proactively trying to network. It was just people that thought similar to me and that, you know, we, we had the same interests. So I think once you yeah. get into it and you start to know other people, those relationships make it harder and harder to get out. <laughs> yes. Well, and the opportunity with the industry is so huge. It's yeah. just amazing what you can do with them. So I always push everyone to kind of take a look at the auto industry. Like I, I pushed my husband to be a parts manager because I always knew <laughs> his personality would be really good at it. And my, my right-hand person at Subway actually works at Parts Edge. Now, back then she, yeah. So I introduced her to Parts Edge wow. and she hadn't left the whole time. Like I left a couple of times, but she stayed with Parts Edge the whole time. Like, wait a minute, Kaylee, where are you going? Uh, you, you brought me on here now. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you do at Parts Edge. So I'm 
responsible for bringing on new dealerships and the marketing, just getting um, the word out of what we do at Parts Edge and just building the relationships. So that's mainly what I focus on. And, and then once a dealership signs on, I continue the relationship, but essentially hand them off to the, you know, the team to execute everything that needs to be executed. And what is it that needs to be executed? What is, what is it that Parts Edge does? And, uh, and it really, how, how are you helping dealerships with their, their kind of parts inventory and their parts? Head- we are a tool for parts managers. That's the best way to put it. Uh, we have ways to make it so that they're more proactive with their DMS and just helping them save time and making sure that they're, I guess the best way to explain it and what we can do is we have the ability to set up 50 to 100 sources. And I think most parts managers know that with that, you can become more granular with the way you stock parts, the way you phase them in and out, pricing, your manufacturer programs. That's a lot for a parts manager without a tool to help maintain that. So typically parts managers can um, execute and have a great inventory with less sources, but we kind of take it to that next level and help them save time and have a more pro- proactive and productive inventory. And you do that using like like analytics, AI, kind of a combination of everything? Yeah, we, I mean, we utilize the existing DMS, really just knowing the things that need to get done every day automatically for parts managers to save them time. So yeah, that's how we do it. It's really cool. I mean, when when we talked about the product in general, prior to getting on the podcast, I, I was really impressed. And I, I've got some parts background as well. And that is a true headache. Inventory in, on, in and of itself is a... Uh, it can be, it's so impactful to a dealership and being able to manage the inventory. So you've got the right inventory at the right time mm-hmm. is at times I almost felt like impossible because you'd have people yelling at you and both, both from the parts counter folks that are getting it, maybe they're given a hard time by a customer that's wanting something today, or maybe a technician that's wanting it today. So there's, there's a lot of variables. And I think that segues really nicely into our conversation for today, which is, really how we improve relationships between parts and service personnel within a dealership. And and I think, you know, we'll start with that piece right there, which is there's sometimes a struggle for a, maybe a technician to understand, you know, why we don't have a part or why we don't, you know, why we can't get a part, you know, to be on the shelf consistently. And when I say that, maybe it's a common job that they have that they're doing and they're just not they're not seeing that the parts department is delivering on that. And that can be really frustrating because they're trying to put out time and they're trying, you know, especially in our business where that customer is wanting that vehicle back as soon as possible in most cases. Tell us a little bit about that that part of it. And when I say that, what is it that a technician needs to understand about the parts department that maybe they don't? So I'd say that just understanding that the parts department can't be the depot. They can't have every single part. It just, it just doesn't make sense for profit, I guess. And I guess understanding that the just, well, I guess we could go back to like the parts, like what can a parts person do to understand the tech? I would, I think I want to start there. Yeah. 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 Let's start there. Yeah. And, and that's how like they can understanding the product, understanding the catalog that can only be learned through experience. So as a dealership, as a whole, like understanding that maybe if you're having, you have newer people that are less experienced, 
giving them the time to understand and put so much pressure on them, I guess. Because yeah. it does take time to understand the catalog. And then the tech understanding that, you know, of course, bringing the VIN to them so it can lean out, you know, and then just understanding their product and the the parts that they need and not having like, well, I think it could be five of these parts. So just order all five of them. It's like, that doesn't make sense for the parts operation to order all five. We need to kind right. of dial down and, and really getting the right part. I don't know if that answers the question. It, yeah, it does. And I think what I took out of that is that there's still a pretty big barrier in communication between a parts and a service person, right? And and really an understanding from both sides of what the other's job is. I think it's easy for a parts person to maybe understand what a technician's job is because it's what's whatever in their stall, they've got to get out and they need parts in order to do that. But maybe the parts per, maybe the tech doesn't see it maybe that doesn't have that understanding as much on the other side. Yeah, and how much work it takes to to do the inventory management, to test parts. Like if it's a part that is productive part that keeps selling and you're not you're continuously not having it, having the extra source or something set up to really test and and then you can phase it in and stock it. You know, working together as a team to identify those opportunities to start phasing in those parts and don't get mad if it's the first time. Like give it a chance to to, to test and make sure that that's what we need to stock. And then the other thing I wanted to say about the text too, like for a parts person to understand them sitting, sitting at the counter and waiting and working with you and then you not having the part, that's their wasted time. There's a car on the lift and then they have to take the car down. Like that's a lot of wasted time. Yeah. So working through the, if you don't have experienced parts, people working through that training process of them understanding, getting more experience to really understand the, what the tech's going through. Well, and so out of your program, are they, is a parts person seeing the typical like parts turns, parts, like give me an idea of like the responsibility of a counter person versus a manager where when it comes to inventory in general, in my experience, it was a lot of you know, maybe the the parts per the the individual parts person or counter person didn't have a ton of influence on the inventory. It was more of the manager kind of it was their role to be able to really manage that inventory. Or maybe some dealerships having an actual inventory manager whose job is just to make sure that they have the right parts on hand. Is how much do you see parts counter people getting into actual inventory discussions? It varies on dealership, honestly. I'd say they do have an important role for the inventory because they are more interactive with the the techs and really seeing what's getting demanded. So like the counter person just identifying those opportunities of like, hey, this is a constant part. We continue like don't have it. Maybe we need to or like have a system where if it continues to come up, they just automatically know where to put it so that it can begin to get tested kind of thing so that it's not like a ordeal. <laughs> yeah. What, what role does emotion play in parts inventory? Like, and when I say that, like the, you know, if you've got a technician that's constantly chewing you out, it's hard for it not to become kind of a, uh, a, a factor, but do you see emotion playing a, a role in, inventory at all i mean that can yeah that's there's gut feelings of when you should stock a part i think that's a lot of time that happens with parts managers because 
they're in this reactive state because they're um, not just inventory managers, they're employing, they're managing employees, manufacturing programs, you know, they're spread so thin, especially now it's like, I'm hearing more and more parts managers are actually working the counter and doing shipping and receiving. Like it's just, they're just running all over the place. And so yeah, that, I mean, that can happen (laughs) reactive because you're all running all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes it really hard. I think that's where uh, a tool like you guys are offering is so helpful because it takes away some of the pressure of, you know, having to try and stay on top of numbers. And and granted, I think as a, as a parts manager, inventory manager, it's so vital to, to just have your finger on the pulse of where your inventory is at. And I think that's one of the things, one of the misconceptions that maybe techs don't fully grasp is how important a parts inventory and managing a parts inventory is to the overall health of a dealership. So when we talk about that, we see that becoming, that's been a huge issue with a lot of dealerships for a long time, where if they don't have somebody that's really, really good at managing, managing their parts inventory, it can quickly get out of hand. And then you end up with a bunch of obsolete parts. You end up with, you know, basically inventory just collecting dust that is you know you've paid for and now it's you're you're not going to get a return on it yeah and then you have the operations kind of working against each other because you have this inexperienced parts operation but maybe you have experienced tax and you're wasting their time and then you might lose them because they're you're wasting their time <laughs> yeah so, yeah and it impacts yeah. their paycheck uh, i mean exactly. at the end of the day like yeah if they're paid on flat rate they're they're not wanting to sit around too too often and and chat. They they, they want the part and they want to get their job done, but yeah. th- that's where I think we could provide a lot of understanding to technicians. Is that you know by putting obsolete parts or leaving obsolete parts on a shelf, and that can easily happen if you have a run and say even like with analytics, if you have maybe a run of three of a part and you hadn't sold it prior to that in the six months prior or the 12 months prior. And then understanding that maybe those three were unique one-off type of things. It just happened to be coincidental that it all happened at one time. Mm-hmm. I, I always saw it from my end where maybe a parts manager that only studied numbers would then, then they'd bring in another three of those and then it, you wouldn't see that repair again for another 12 months. And so, you know, having that part sit there is really hurtful for the dealership because then they're not able to stock those really, really needed parts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. They're wasting the resources and, and money on those obsolescent, obsolete parts or idle inventory parts and where they should be, you know, stocking the more productive active parts. And, and then another thing for tax to realize too, is the parts manager is managing a manufacturer program that is recommending for them what to stock. And sometimes they don't always need to stock what they're recommending just because they got one hit doesn't mean they need to stock it. And just understanding that they're managing that process too. And they're managing the returns to make sure that they're staying on top of returns and, and then special orders too. Cause I know every dealership has special orders. And there's not really a way around it and really outlining a process to manage the special orders, you know, just cause the parts manager ordered it in doesn't mean it's going to, go to the customer. We got to have a process 
So do you do you get like when you're dealing with your customers directly, do you get into fill rates and, and that kind of stuff in turns? Like as far as like so when I when I say that, what is a what is a typical fill rate like that of a part that's in stock? Like a percentage, like an yeah. average percentage fill rate. I think we the it it ranges on make, but I think when the last study that we did, it was I want to say it was like eighty five percent to ninety five percent fill rates, depending uh, on the manufacturer. Yeah, depending on the manufacturer and the way that your DMS is uh, set up, because your fill rate can be different based on like wholesale or your different avenues doing business kind of thing. Sure. It's one whole. And then inventory churns, that has been a huge topic that we've talked about too, because it's inventory churns isn't as important as gross inventory churns. We recently actually wrote a, a blog about it. So, nice. <laughs> so, what, so what do you mean by that? Like, so when you say gross inventory turns, what does that mean? It's it's so complicated. <laughs> I don't want to go. I don't want to take up the whole. <laughs> you just have to read the article. But I would say like the inventory trends, and that was again it ranges on um, manufacturer, but the average is I think it was like eight to nine turns was wow. a, was probably a good. But if you're doing too much, you're probably it's your low turn, on inventory. Turn, yeah, you're yeah. turning too much. It's not good. Turning too low. That's not good too. You kind of have to find a happy medium. So right, hopefully. right. Well, and for a tech for a technician that's sitting out there, I, I, this would be a question I would have for my dealership: is what are those? What do those turns look like? Because as Kaylee said, you might have a legitimate gripe if the turns are really really high, because that means they don't have they're they're not turning that inventory as much. And when when we talk about inventory turn. We're talking about total dollar amount of parts that's turned in a year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so total inventory. So, say if you've got, I don't know, three million dollars in inventory, and you turn that three times, you know, that's that's probably maybe a little bit low. I don't. I as far that's as low. that turn, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been a while since I've been on the part side of things, but I, I do remember thinking, you know, being able to gauge that that inventory turn was such a big deal. And for, you know, if I'm in a technician's shoes right now, being able to understand that piece of it is so critical to your understanding of uh, a parts department and how it runs in general, right? And and what those KPIs for a parts manager are, because that could help you understand. And, and if you've got a gripe with the inventory and, and you think that, hey, we're just, we don't have these parts when we need them, being able to sit down with maybe your service manager or fixed ops director and and hopefully, if you've got a good fixed ops director, they can sit down and kind of they they can paint the picture for you of what that looks like. And I think rather than getting super frustrated about it, being able to have that conversation with somebody can really uh, it can save your emotional toll or save the emotional toll that it takes on a technician when they don't understand that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that kind of leads into like the personality, knowing the personalities of of parts. Yes. Yeah, because it's like you you have to ask it in the right way. If you're constantly complaining about not having the right parts, you're gonna you're gonna I want to I want to say hurt their feelings, but you're gonna offend them. They work very hard. Parts managers work very hard to have 
and maintain that inventory. So if you're constantly complaining, it's like, you know, telling someone that their baby's ugly. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Parts managers take this very seriously. And that is, that is their baby. Yes. (laughs) That's funny. I know. I ran into that when I'm like talking to them about what parts edge can do. And they're just like, what? You're going to help me? <laughs> I already know, <laughs> like, I'm just going to help you do it better. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I think everybody, if, if technology can help you maintain a better parts inventory to make those techs happier and make your dealer principal happier because they're not sitting on an extra million dollars in inventory that they don't need. You know, I, I think there, if it can make your life easier, <laughs> you, you should yeah, take full advantage of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how about that piece of it, the, the personality side? Let, let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah. What I found in my experience is a lot of times maybe a parts manager doesn't have – they tend to be maybe a little bit more a, type A, analytical. They they really – you know, that's what makes a good parts manager. They're looking at numbers. They're able to, to – to be able to manage a lot of part numbers. Like there's, I don't think some people understand how many part numbers go into some of these systems and being able to manage that is, it can be really overwhelming. So I think at times when, when a technician comes storming through the door and says, where in the hell is my stuff at? Why don't, you know, why don't we have any of this stuff that the parts manager ends up being very defensive. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times because of their personality, maybe they're not, they're not the most outgoing person in the world. And I don't want to put all parts managers in the same bucket, but I I do think there's some level of this, maybe a little bit of a drier personality. And and when I say that, that's not as an insult or a slight to parts managers. It's more just kind of, it makes them good at what they are, or, you know, they, they're really good at, at managing numbers. And so where technicians on the other side can be a little bit more boisterous, it feels like, or at least a few in each shop are boisterous. How do you, how do we improve that relationship? Like, in I think it starts with the communication that you talked about already, but how, how do we get it to the point to where it's not just a, a tense conversation 100% of the time. Yeah, communication, definitely. I always like to say this, and it's if there's an opportunity to kind of have them not swap, but like shadow each other. Oh, like yeah. Kind of like live in their, put yourself in someone else's shoes and like really see what each person has to deal with. And, and then that, I feel like that gives people more of an understanding. Cause I know that I personally like to shadow parts managers and like really understand what they're dealing with. I mean, luckily it's easy for me because my husband's a parts manager. So I'm like, yeah. Hey, can I shadow you? But it's, it really has opened my eyes a lot more of, of what parts managers have to deal with. So I know techs obviously cannot sit by a parts manager all day long, but if there's an opportunity to kind of an hour or so or something just to get the the idea of what they're dealing with. Um, I had, I, I've got a good story about that, of somebody that did that. And it was so cool because it was a tech that was, uh, that I was managing and they went in and they had been frustrated with the parts inventory for a while. And it, it was super frustrating to them. And we were open on Saturdays. So what would happen is that the techs would get every other Saturday off 
And this particular tech went out of his way to ask the parts manager if he could come sit with them on a Saturday that they worked opposite, you know, Saturday. So like he wasn't on the clock. It wasn't affecting his page. And I don't expect every tech to just go in on a Saturday when they're not working. But the initiative I saw in somebody that just went out of their way to go sit with a parts manager and the parts manager being willing to sit down and show them inventories and walk through a lot of things it helped their relationship out of a bunch. And not only that, I think the impact that had when that tech went back into the shop and then heard other techs complaining about parts inventory that he could talk to them and, and be able to explain it and at least have some knowledge of what the, yeah. what the parts manager does. Definitely. I think it, that's so cool that, that he did that. And I don't think every tech needs to do it. I think if you're, you're finding that there's a problem and you're there's, you know, try and step outside of the box and, and shadow and get an understanding because the parts manager is managing, you know, the, one of the largest assets at the dealership, the dealer actually has their money invested in yeah. this inventory. So they, yeah. And it's a lot of money. It's, it yeah. is a substantial amount of money. So there's, there's a huge opportunity there. I also think there's a huge opportunity for the service manager to get involved or, you know, if the fixed ops director is seeing both sides of it and mm-hmm. trying to get some cross training in there and and looking at different opportunities to to have them have them do that. And same thing goes for a service manager. If you can get a service manager to go sit with a parts manager and not you know, not talk about, oh, hey, you didn't have this part for Larry last week. What, you know, what happened? And like, have it be more like, hey, I want to get an understanding of this stuff so I can explain it to my team. I, I think it, a lot of it is in the approach, right? Like, yeah. it, like how how you interact with a with a parts person from the service end is so, so vital. And if you come in hot and you're not happy that's not the greatest time to have that discussion. You need to have it when you can sit down and and really just be able to to decipher and understand what it is that a parts manager does. If if you can get the parts people out with technicians, even if they're helping them, you know, clean up or do whatever in the shop, just in general relationship building and getting them out of their comfort zone and into a shop, I think that can be really beneficial. Yeah. And then that even, not even just the parts manager, like all of the parts people, because I think that can give them more. Because I know I'm a visual learner. So learning the catalog on a computer might be very, you know, cumbersome and just like, that's a lot. But if a tech took the time to like show, like, this is what I'm looking at physically, that I think gives an understanding, more of an understanding, just taking that extra time. Because especially if you're dealing with an inexperienced parts person, that gives them the experience and and showing them so yeah that helps out at the front counter too when when you're dealing with a just a, a straight parts customer that they have an understanding of what they're talking about and i've been on a parts counter before when i don't fully understand the catalog and it is brutal like and if if it's busy if the parts counter is busy it is it is extremely challenging there's a lot of pressure there and yeah. you know people are expecting expecting you to 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 have an answer for them right away and they're not the most patient people in the world so that that there's a lot of pressure on a parts counter person yeah especially if the customer is impatient and you have the your coworkers 
being an impatient. I actually, my mom's a parts counter person, so I'm my whole family. Nice. So I get to I get to hear her <laughs> stories about just like because she's you know never really done it and she's familiar with you know some her dad was a mechanic or my grandpa was a mechanic, but she's like the catalog is just so hard <laughs> to learn. Right. Right. And. Uh, there's staffing issues there too, right? So if you get behind the ball, um, behind the eight ball on the parts counter and you're short people, that ends up making you throw people into the fire a lot faster, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some people, it, you know, it can wear them out. So yeah. appreciating it, those people that are getting thrown to the fire. <laughs> my limited time on a parts counter. Yeah. My limited time on a parts counter definitely wore me out. That was uh, that 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 is definitely a challenge. So when we talk about this and we're trying to explain maybe inventory or trying to explain this to a technician, say that parts manager sitting down with a technician, how do you how do you get that piece of the the inventory itself, right? Like so you're sitting down and you say, okay, here's we've got whatever, three million dollars worth of inventory here. I think what happens a lot of times, at least what I had seen, was that people's eyes kind of gloss over and they're like, yeah, that's a lot of money, but I don't know like how that applies to me or, you know, how, I, are, are, are you able to paint the, the bigger picture of what this is? I mean, it, when you're sitting down and talking to them and they see this big number, which, you know, most of us don't have $3 million to throw at parts inventory and they just see it as like this big dealership, you know, that has all this money that can throw it around. But in reality, inventory can sink a dealership. I mean, if you have bad inventory, it it can put you out of business. Yeah, because you're essentially not having the right parts. No, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. We, I know the DMSs can produce this. They, you know, there's manager reports. You can see what's going on. It's just, you got to pull a lot of reports and you got to figure out how to, I guess, dive deeper in understanding what you're looking at. So if you're not accruing $5,000 every month, then your obsolescence is going to grow at $5,000 kind of thing. That's just an example. But that's, you know, seeing that for like a tech to be able to see that and understand like, okay, this fourth category, that's kind of where the techs can fall in. Of they're, they're wanting these parts and kind of forcing the inventory because they're essentially special orders all the time. So that's the category that they might care about and seeing that percentage and seeing how high it is, maybe they want to work with the parts manager to get it at a lower percentage or set a goal of, you know, whatnot. And, and then the parts team also having a system in place to manage those special orders too. So that, cause it's not all up to the tech to get the parts on the, I, I love that because even, so even if you're not using something, as useful as parts edge what what you had there what you talked about there was simplifying the data so you're not going through you know this big thick inventory you know bunch of sheets yeah yeah and being able to to dive into that if you can simplify it and be able to show them okay this is this is our turn rate this is why turn rate is important you know this is what a good turn rate looks like this is where we're at um, and this is our fill rate. Yeah. This is our fill rate. And, you know, obviously, I, I think maybe one of the funny parts is that at a foundational level, there's times where a tech thinks that the parts people are out to get them because they didn't fill the, you know, but they're judged on fill rate. Like that's, that's, I mean, that is, 
that is one of their key performance indicators is is fill rate. And so mm-hmm. it's in their best interest to have the part for you because if they yeah. don't, it it reflects poorly on them, right? Exactly. Yeah. And and also I think did we touch on pay plans too? I think making sure that like parts is paid off the whole and vice like vice versa, kind of like combining. Cause I think when you're paid off of all the different departments, you work better as a team. Yeah. I mean, because essentially it boils down to, you know, we're all trying to make money. So, right. So how does that look like when you're trying to, when you're trying to tie everybody together on a pay plan? Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen dealerships do it so different, uh, all different levels, but essentially parts um, getting paid off service. And I even, I've seen um, even a small percentage on labor, like the hours for tax too. So, so that you're like, rewarding them for efficiency and productivity of getting the faster you can get them parts, the faster they move uh, and are able to get cars out the door. Exactly. And then even creating a system where you're, I know resources are low, but um, pulling parts for them and, and so that they're not having to come to the counter and just creating a system for that too is super helpful on just getting, being more efficient. I had, I don't know if it was you or somebody told me this. Oh no, I was at a uh, I was at a big uh, truck dealership actually, and they actually got a uh, golf cart that had like a truck box on it, and their parts people and they have a gigantic shop, so like that was part of the reason. But yeah. they have they they have a golf cart that actually the parts people use to run the parts that so they could do it faster right. and handle you know because if a big parts order and you're doing a big job having to haul all of that out to wherever the technician's bay is can be really time consuming for yeah. the parts person, but then it, it just doesn't make it as clean. So, you know, I love when people think outside the norm of how you get parts out to a technician. And I think there's a, a lot of efficiency to be had there. If, if at a dealership, you're able to think that through and again, just, have some type of urgency of getting those parts out to a tech. And I think maybe that's where, you know, going back to the relationship side where techs can get frustrated is if they don't see that enthusiasm with a, with a parts person uh, that's delivering the parts. And as stupid as that sounds, yeah. it can be frustrating if, if you see that person and they're like, they kind of go out and throw it in your, in your bay and, you know, just kind of yeah. take off like, like whatever. Right. Like, I think there's so much that could be gained by parts people understanding that service business as well. And, Mm -hmm. and really knowing that your job is important and the faster you can get it out to them, the faster they can get stuff done and having the right parts too, because I think that's another, another area where I've seen it where parts people are delivering parts to a tech, but they're the wrong part or they didn't pick it right or something, something was wrong. So then the tech ends up having to go back into the parts department and that causes even more friction and everybody's pissed off. Yes. Yeah. I, I think reviewing your, what you have going on the the day, like before kind of the day starts and making sure you did get those parts in so that you can identify like, Oh, this customer is coming in and we don't have this part so that you can coordinate and tell the service so that they can handle that. And the techs know like what not to expect. And then just, you know, every department's bit different. Like the bigger ones I've seen have like a whole, like a literally a machine that like 
gets the parts. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then I've seen just like, you know, the smaller operations where it's a like one parts being one person in the operation, they're, you know, doing all the different roles and and just getting the parts for them that they can. Just it just helps tremendously, I think. And one person. I hope I hope their their uh, techs are patient with them. That would be that would be a challenge. Yeah, definitely. No, <laughs> I think <laughs> so when it, like we're we're getting close to the end here of the podcast, and I just kind of want to, well, and I I kind of want to. We've talked a lot about relationships and and how important they are to build. And I, I know a lot of techs. That's not what they want to hear. That they have to spend time kind of growing those relationships, or you know, they just want to go in a lot of them and do their job and do it well and leave. And I think what I hope lands out of this is that it's worth your time to build that relationship with a, with a parts person. And it's worth, it's worth going out of your way. And even if you're an introvert and you don't want to talk to other people when you go to work that, and I, I have days where I'm that way, so I totally get it, but investing the time to be able to, actually have a relationship with somebody so that when you do run into a difficult spot that you can work together and work your way out of it and hopefully it doesn't happen again and and really even being able to ask a smart question from a technician standpoint i think if we're able to arm a, a tech with good questions to be able to go back and ask a, a parts team about rather than storming in the door and, and yelling what advice would you give like to a technician, like a question to ask a parts team or a parts department. Like, and when I say that, as you're trying to get an understanding and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to build those relationships, what should they be talking about? I think understanding the inventory. So asking them about like what their, what their goals are, what's, what are their what are they looking at as a whole in the operation so that they're understanding like what effects that the tech has on their day-to-day and, and the inventory? So like I mentioned the force category, just understanding if you're having a lot of special orders, that can be that's a lot to manage. And so we need to come up with a plan so you're not ordering. You're not constantly having special orders. So yeah, just understanding the inventory, asking about it, and then and then just be patient too. Like if you recognize that a parts person is a parts manager or just a parts counter person is newer, be patient with them. Let them <laughs> let them learn. Show them. I think a lot of people vi- learn visually, so, so take the time and you know don't like try and you know pull a fast one on them to like see if they know or understand like. Obviously, they're learning. Let's let's give them some time. So, yeah, and that that comes along a similar message that I've had for for techs in the past is you want to get paid more, you want to be more respected in the industry. This is your craft. Like, be professional with that person. Be accommodating for that person. I had a veteran tech that worked for me, that was brilliant at that, that would bring somebody to the side and say, Hey, you know what? I, I know you're new. I want to help you out. Like come follow me for a couple of days and I'll show you, I'll kind of show you the ropes. And 
they had a great relationship and it was a young parts person with an older technician. And it was, it was so cool to see that dynamic of people working together. And, you know, we talk so much about generational gaps and how difficult it is for anybody to deal with millennials. Right. (laughs) And uh, I'm actually, I'm on the, I'm on the front end of the millennial group. I'm technically a millennial. yeah. Yeah. But the, like to see somebody that was acting like a true professional and was extending the olive branch so that they could help impact somebody's life to make their life easier. You know, I think techs at times don't fully understand or grasp how much of an impact they can have on other people in a dealership. And if, you know, if they can just open up their eyes a little bit to that part and be accommodating to that young person so that you can train them the right way. I, I would look at, you know, I would encourage text to look at it that exact way is that you have a young person that you can help shape into the type of person that can really, really benefit you moving forward. And it's kind of like that blank slate, right? You can help them paint that picture of what, what it is that's going to help you. And rather than being just a dick to them <laughs> and and yeah. having, you know, and having constant turnover behind the parts counter. If you can invest six months into somebody in being patient and showing them how to do it, yeah. I think it's it's going to make your life easier, right? Yeah, because I think when you when you get experience and experience together, you you create this this like monster, not a monster, not a bad monster. It's a powerhouse. Yeah, a powerhouse. It, yeah, that's a great. Yeah, you create a powerhouse. So. Yeah. I, just, I remember the founder of Chuck, Chuck Partech, he he said one of his experience was he was like, once I got my team where it was like everyone was so experienced and they just kind of worked together. It, he was like he had the largest Chrysler point in the world back when he was a parts manager managing largest wholesale like that shows when you can put time and effort into your people to understand and, and the experience, then you can create a powerhouse. <laughs> You do. And I think it, whether we want to admit it or not as an industry, when a technician does that, like it's really easy for a parts person to play favorites, right? And they won't say it, they won't, they won't ever talk about it, but they'll go that extra mile for that tech that treats them right and, and is respected. And, you know, I think that's huge. It's huge. Essentially it's a customer, like you're, it's developing a relationship and you're building that uh, relationship with them. So, you know, you're accommodating and and showing them, then they're going to accommodate back and they're going to, you know, maybe play favorites. (laughs) So let's, let's take that from the other side then advice or questions from a parts person's point of view to a technician, like, if if you had some if you had both crowds in a room and say like you were at a happy hour and you were talking to you know you had a parts and a service person talking what would you have the parts person ask that technician or like what do you think a parts person is really curious about that they don't ask that's a really broad and tough question what would a parts what would I hmm. like I, I the, the the reason I ask that is I think there's times where if you have that really standoffish tech that doesn't want to talk to you, it can be really, really frustrating. And so rather than try to hit the conflict in the face and try to uh, try to address things and be really forward, 
where I think it would go is right back to the communication side. It's like, why, yeah, why are you like, it's almost like a husband and wife relationship where like, why, why are you approaching that situation that way? Or why, like, why are you coming at me for no reason? Like we, I want to, I want to help you. That would be my guess. Like I know why you need the part. I know that you do need the part and we're trying to deliver that to you, but you know, why can't we just have a normal conversation? And I feel like a lot of parts people would, would think that way. Yeah, I, I agree. So I think, yeah, going back to the communication and understanding, like, it's so important to understand the different personalities of people and identifying, you know, that if they're a high D or an A or however, there's so many different personality tests out there, but yeah, they're generally all the same and just kind of understanding when that person and how to communicate differently with that person. I think it's huge with anything in business. So I don't know if that totally answers the question, but it does. I think at the end of the day, everything we've talked about circles back to communication, right? And that it's such an easy thing to talk about, but such a hard thing to do. And uh, especially when it comes to a parts and service person or, or, you know, having. And they don't totally work side by side. So you don't know if that person's dog died, probably like you just don't know. So it's like just taking the time, I guess, to build those relationships to, to understand if that person's having a bad day or something personally happened. Cause we're allowed to, you know, be affected by what goes on in our, our personal lives, you know, what, course, 100% shut it out at some point, but yeah. not shut it out, but you have to be maintain some level of professionalism, but you know, we're all working together and we all need to kind of understand when someone's having a bad day. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that. I think that's really true in, in anything, but I think technicians, and again, I don't want to put all technicians in the same boat, but there are times where, you know, our our upbringing was a little different and that we were, you know, suck it up, move on, you know, like, and and it's hard to get that understanding. And especially when you've been raised that way, it it, it can be, it can be a challenge. So I think that's true. One, one last thing I would say there on that topic or on that point is, and this goes for techs, in how they view service managers, techs and how they view fixed ops directors, techs on how they view parts managers, in that they see the person sitting behind the computer all day doing this. And they're like, oh, great, they're on Facebook again, or they're doing whatever. But it, it truly is, it's computer work, it's behind a screen. And I think at times, maybe the perception from a technician's end is that they're not doing anything. They're just sitting behind a computer. And that couldn't be any further from the truth. Mm -mm. If you're a parts manager, if you walk into their office and there's piles and there's stuff everywhere, they're not just sitting behind the computer. (laughs) Because I think that stuff would probably be organized. Knowing, Knowing most parts managers are very detailed and organized people, so... Yeah. yeah, but there's some level of insecurity there. I feel like with a a parts manager and them, if they know that technicians' perception is that, and they're sitting behind their computer, I, I do think there's something that you know can mentally take your focus off of what you're doing because you're worried about what that person thinks. And yeah, you know, I, I that goes so much further into the psychology of it. But I also think there's 
it's valid. Like I, I think people, you know, they worry about what their perception is. And if they know that technician thinks I'm not doing anything, that's where the numbers can really help out and say, Hey, yeah. you know, you want to know like what I'm doing behind here. If I don't do this, this number is going to do this. Or if I don't, you know, like explaining what you do is so important. Include the text on those those inventory meetings that you have so they can understand the impact that they're having on things. Yeah. 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 Going back to communication. <laughs> it is. It is. This ultimately, I mean, it it is about communication and even from the, the parts manager side, using a tool like Parts Edge to help you manage the inventory. So maybe you can get up from behind the computer a little bit more and be proactive in training your parts staff on how to work with a service department. And not that it's just your job isn't just to go drop the part and you're good, but grow that relationship. You know, it's just as important on the on the parts person's end as, as it is the technician's end. And I think a lot of times the parts person is open to it, but then if they get shut down right away, then they just don't pursue the relationship whatsoever. So if 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 you can train them on how to get feedback from a tech, how to take that feedback and take it to the parts manager. So if you've got maybe a, a person that is actually delivering parts to a stall or is directing in, like directly interacting with a tech, all the technicians that they know how to take the feedback that they get and communicate it back to the parts manager in an effective way. Because I think there's another barrier there where if a parts person tells it to, or a tech tells it to the parts person, the, that and the parts person just says, ah, that person just bitches all the time. They they don't like, so they don't take it anywhere, but it's an actual valid concern. I, I think yeah. being able to take constructive criticism is exactly. is really important too. Yeah, and it's kind of up to the the managers to create that dynamic for the departments too. Like if you have a fixed ops manager, create that dynamic so that they can easily create those, build those relationships. So. Yeah, super important. Uh, it, at the end of the day, it comes down to communication. I think it's just like any relation. You hit on a couple really, really good points on differences in personalities. Uh, a, a personality of a parts person can be drastically different than that of a service person. And therein lies a lot of the problem of why we've got silos in the first place and why when you go to the company Christmas party, all the parts people sit together and all the service people sit together, you know, they, it, it's, uh, I've gone to Christmas parties where I'm like, this is like a eighth grade dance. Like there, there's like, (laughs) it's like everybody's in their own little uh, worlds, but. Oh yeah. I've seen it. (laughs) So if you, if you want, if you want a good idea if or a, a, a good understanding of how well those relationships are working, see how people interact when they're in a social setting, because that can tell you a lot about how close your departments are. And I think most people, yeah, when they look up, <laughs> yeah, have a party. It's a great excuse to have a party. But it also, I think it, it tells you so much about how people interact. And if they just don't interact at a, in a social setting, probably means they're they're not wanting to talk to each other at work either. So if you can mm-hmm. if you can kind of identify that and then co be a leader, be a manager and help bridge those relationships because that's uh, we our whole conversation was about communication and relationships. It's really important and like yeah. if you don't do that, you're not going to get any better. No. And and putting yourself in the other person's shoes I think is huge. 
understanding what they're going through, what their role is. It's just like, you know, don't be one-sided. Be open. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's great advice. I think that's great advice for any position in a dealership, but specifically the parts and service departments. I, I think asking the right questions can help a service person understand the, the parts department and really help them be able to put themselves in those shoes. So uh, really, really good conversation here. I, I've enjoyed this. I think it's something that from my my personal background, I've struggled with the relationship between parts and service for a long time. From what I hear from industry, I don't think I'm alone. I think there's a lot of a lot of improvement to be had in, in that regard. Definitely. I look forward to talking about it more. <laughs> good, good. So Kaylee, how do people get in touch? They can, if they want to learn about Parts Edge, just go to the website. It's just partsedge.com and then just my email or info at Parts Edge. I don't know. We could probably include it in We'll, we'll put it in the show link so so people can get in touch with you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. As always, a joy to talk to you and uh, look forward to doing it again. Thanks so much.